today we start a new year at our church and hopefully this coming year will be better than the last year. And that means we're gonna start a new study and we're gonna have a new theme for our church. The study is gonna be the book of Hebrews. And we're gonna be looking at that book on all of the Sunday mornings for this coming year. It's gonna be a really great study. And our theme is gonna be forward because this is a great time for us after 2020 to look forward, to have some optimism, to, to have some hope and to maybe have a return back to normal, if you will. And the book of Hebrews is all about moving forward. Uh, one commentator once said that the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. So their world is falling apart in this book and uh, they're facing persecution and they wanna go back to the old ways, to the comfortable ways. But the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these Christians to continue forward, to press on in Christ because the new covenant in Jesus is the far, far better way than the old covenant and the law. I'm standing here in our old Main Street campus. Now, we no longer have church here in this building, but it is an important part of our history. And it says a lot about our church moving forward. There are so many things uh, about this church that are wonderful, and it was very difficult to move from this location to our current location about 12, 13 years ago now. Uh, people were baptized in this church. They were married in this church. There were funerals in this church, and it was hard to let go. In fact, uh, it was hard for me to let go. Right, right behind me on the stage was one of my favorite things about this old campus, and it was our living Christmas tree. I look forward to that so much, and I hated giving that up when we moved to 45th Street. And uh, I talked to really older, elderly members of our church that were here when this building was built in the 20s, and they told me stories about their, their, their parents putting a second mortgage on their homes to finish the construction of this building. And yet so many of those members realize the importance of moving forward. They, they missed the sentimentality of the building, but they knew they needed to give that up so that our church could move forward in reaching more people with the gospel. And that's what our theme and our study is gonna be about this year. It's gonna be about moving forward. I'm holding the blueprints, I mean, literally blueprints to this old building. And uh, you can tell how old and worn the, the, these plans are. Uh, but it's time for us to, to move forward. We, we had as a church to move away from this to on to better and greater things. And that's gonna be our challenge this year. As we move forward in Jesus, as we grow in our relationship with Him, let's put 2020 behind us. Let's, let's move away from just trying to be what's comfortable and easy and let's move forward in our dying to self and our growing in Jesus. Our text today, our introduction to the book of Hebrews is gonna be just about that. All right, so good to see all of you here as uh, we begin this new year here at church, new theme and a new study uh, through the book of Hebrews. So uh, every Sunday that you're here, when that bumper video is over, you're gonna see this slide on the screen and it's gonna have a QR code on it. And if you wanna just take your phone and open up your camera and hold it on that QR code, it'll immediately take you to uh, a digital copy of the sermon outline. And so if you want a digital copy of the sermon outline, you can have it right there 
there on your phone or device, and uh, you can just be ready for that uh, when the bumper video is over. Now, uh, I want us today to just kind of uh, work to um, kind of introduce ourselves to the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at the first couple of verses uh, today, and then we're going to look at them again next Sunday, but we're going to use them today as a little bit of an overview. Uh, I, I think the picture that you see on the screen is from the movie, but, but the book, of course, I think does it better. But it's one of my favorite scenes from C.S. Lewis' Chronicle of Narnia. In the Chronicles of Narnia, you, you remember that, that that whole thing is an allegory, right? And, and Jesus is Aslan, who is the lion, this very, very big lion. And there's a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy is kind of reconnected with Aslan, sees him again, and she's standing right in front of him. In fact, she's just kind of nestled into his mane, and she kind of looks at him, and she says, you're bigger. And Aslan says, no, child, I'm not bigger. You are a year older. And he says, and every year that you get older, I will appear bigger to you. And it was C.S. Lewis's way of saying, every year we grow deeper in our faith in Jesus, Jesus will be bigger to us. Uh, every year that we mature, every year that we move forward in our faith in Jesus and grow and develop, uh, he will not diminish in size, but he will be bigger, if you will, to us. And to me, that is a very, very kind of critical theme of the book of Hebrews. In a sentence, in the nutshell, the theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater than anything, anyone, anything you can imagine, anything you can follow. Jesus is greater. And when we realize and get a vision for how great Jesus is, we will no longer want to go back to the old way of life before we came to faith in Jesus. The old way is more familiar, it's more comfortable, it's easier than following Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews is going to say to us that Jesus is far greater than any of that. So if you take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, as I mentioned, I want us to just look at the first two verses of chapter 1, the very first two verses of the whole book. And we're going to use this just kind of a, as, as a little introduction to this, this greatness of Jesus and, and to the book as a whole, because uh, we're going to be, for about 48 Sundays this year, we're going to be in this book right here in Hebrews, and so I think it will be good for us today to talk a little bit about who, who were the Hebrews, and who wrote this letter, and what, what is the, the occasion of this letter. And so let's read the first two verses. And so the writer of Hebrews says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And you see, right from just those two verses, you get an idea of this greatness of Jesus. Now, before we really kind of get into that, I want to, again, just kind of look at an overview, if you will, of, of the letter. And just look at the statement on the screen. Uh, the major admonition of this letter is to not go back to the old way. Don't go back to the way before you came to faith in Jesus, what was comfortable and easy and convenient. Don't go back to that. Now, we're looking at an interesting letter here uh, in Hebrews. First of all, it is the only letter in the New Testament that is actually anonymous. Now, technically, 
There are other letters in the New Testament that are anonymous, the Gospels, the Johannian epistles, but we can infer very easily from evidence within the text and from very strong early church tradition that it was Matthew that wrote Matthew and Luke that wrote Luke and so forth. When we have the Pauline epistles, it always says at the beginning, I, Paul, so he tells you who wrote that, those are easy, but when it comes to Hebrews, we don't have a very clear picture at all of who wrote this letter. In fact, the very early church father Origen once said, famously said, the only one that knows who wrote the letter of Hebrews is God himself. So if you have a hunch as to who you think wrote Hebrews, it is always incorrect for you to ever say that, right? It's always incorrect for you to say, now Paul said to the Hebrews, you should not say that because you don't know that. Now, there are a lot of people that think that Paul wrote this. In fact, the only, probably the major reason that the book of Hebrews as an anonymous letter even made it into the canon of the New Testament is because the early church thought Paul wrote it. Now, there are things about Hebrews that sound like Paul, although some of the, the, the distinguishing hallmark features of Paul's letters are missing from Hebrews. Uh, I would argue, based on this verse on the screen, that Paul absolutely did not write Hebrews. Because look what the author of Hebrews says. He says, this salvation, the gospel, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Remember in the book of Galatians, when Paul is defending his apostleship, he makes it vehemently, uber clear that he did not receive the gospel from any person, not even from Peter. But Paul makes it very clear that the one he heard the gospel from was from Jesus himself. So to me, there is no way the apostle Paul would pin those words. Now, some people think it could be Luke, uh, the Greek, the complexity of the vocabulary and the structure. There's other evidence that might point to Luke. Uh, some people think it's Apollos. Martin Luther thought that because of the, 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 the education of the author and some connections with Greek philosophy. Could have been Apollos. Some people argue that the reason Hebrews is anonymous is because it was written by a woman. And we'll see here in a second, we get to the end of the letter, this is written to some Christians who were probably in or near Rome. Priscilla and Aquila were leaders of the church in Rome. Maybe it was them. Maybe it was Barnabas. You get to the end of the, of the letter, and whoever wrote this, we know they had an association with Timothy. Well, all of that aside, the thing that we've got to understand is, and, 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 and this, is a, this is a deep, complex book, and I'm just going to tell you right now, Every Sunday in 2021, go to bed early on Saturday night, get up on Sunday morning, eat yourself a good breakfast, and walk into this place with your thinking cap on. I'm going to try to make it as clear as we can, but this is a very deep book, and we're going to learn some very deep things about our faith in Christ from this letter. But it's not just a theological treatise. Uh, I would argue that Hebrews is written by a pastor who has been disconnected from his people. And he is writing to them this exhortation that when life is hard, and I'm going to tell you how life is hard for them, when life is hard, don't abandon following Jesus. Keep moving forward in him. Now, who are these, uh, who are these Hebrews? Why, why do we even call them Hebrews? Um, what we probably know about these people is that this was a group of Jewish Christians. So they were people that were Jews, and they converted from Judaism. They left Judaism behind, and they heard the gospel, and they began to follow Jesus Christ. 
Now, life immediately would have been difficult for them because in converting from Judaism to Christianity, they would have been disconnected, they would have been cut off from family and friends. Now, they also would have been cut off from what would have been the center of their social life, which would have been the synagogue. So just imagine you make a commitment in your life, right, to to follow Jesus, and all of your friends and all of your family just immediately stop talking to you. You're immediately disinvited from Thanksgiving, disinvited from Christmas. You're immediately just cut off. And the sources of encouragement and admonishment that you would have had, all of these things that were familiar and comfortable to you, all of it gone when you decided to follow Jesus. And then add this on top of that. So in following Jesus, they get disconnected from from all the Judaism. Now, we have from evidence here, this was written in the mid-60s AD, first century AD. Now, there's a madman, a crazy, historically certifiable crazy man named Nero who has become the emperor of Rome. And there's this huge persecution of Christians that come up right in the mid-60s in Rome. And uh, the catalyst behind that, and all this is historically verified, is that Nero had picked out a place in the city of Rome to build what he called the Golden Palace. He had a vision for this huge, massive palace to build for himself, and he wanted it right here. The problem is there were buildings and houses all right in the spot. So Nero, history, pretty strong, good evidence, Nero sets the fire himself to burn this part of the city of Rome to make room for the Golden Palace. And people began to kind of catch on. Hey, the emperor set this fire. And so to deflect suspicion from him, he blames it on the Christians. By the way, the Christians were the perfect group to blame a fire on. Uh, One, these Christians were preaching against the secularism of culture. Uh, Two, they were preaching against the plurality of the Greco-Roman culture. And three, these Christians were teaching that God would one day end the world with fire. So setting a fire makes perfect sense that these crazy Christians would have done it. And it worked. And the persecution of Christians in the mid-60s became intense. In fact, church tradition says it is in this persecution that Peter and Paul are both martyred. So now put yourself in the shoes of the Hebrews, okay? Uh, They have been ostracized by their friends and family. They are being persecuted. Incidentally, the book of Hebrews itself tells us a little bit about this persecution. Look on the screen. We just jump forward to chapter 10. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, come to faith in Jesus, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Now look at that. They're being thrown in jail. Their homes and property is being taken from them by the government, by others. Uh, They are being uh, insulted and persecuted, all of this suffering. And so here's the massive temptation for the Hebrews. The huge temptation for the Hebrews is to abandon Christianity. And incidentally, we see this in here in this same chapter 10. 
The writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why would he say that? Probably because they were, some of them had stopped coming to worship for fear of the persecution. There's six different places, six different warnings in Hebrews where the writer warns them about abandoning, about, about, about cursing Jesus, about uh, denying the faith. And so the huge temptation for the Hebrews is to say, wow, hey, this Christianity has got us nothing but trouble. Our friends and family won't speak to us. We can't go to the synagogue. We can't socialize. And now they're throwing us in jail. They're taking our homes. They're persecuting us. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go back to Judaism. Because remember, in the first century, Judaism is illegal religion, so they're under the canopy of its protection. It would have been familiar. It would have been easy for them to go back to the old rituals of Judaism. It would have been familiar for them to, to live by the Mosaic law. All of this would have been more comfortable. Christianity has just kind of seemed to do nothing but bring them trouble. And so some of them are losing heart. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't lose heart. No matter what the cost, no matter what the price, keep moving forward in Jesus. Now you may hear some of this right now, and you say, well, how does any of that apply to me today? I mean, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and guess that nobody in the room was ever a Jew. But if you think about it, it applies brilliantly to our lives today. Now, in the 21st century in the United States, we're not being thrown in jail for our faith. And they're not coming and taking our homes, but let's just be very real and honest. It is becoming more and more difficult to live for Jesus in our world today, which has largely become secular. And so now we, ha we have all the, 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 the things that we would face when people find out, oh, you're a Christian? You believe in a supernatural God? You believe in that kind of myth? Oh, you actually believe that the Bible is inspired by God and we should do what it says? This is an old, antiquated, non-politically correct document. How can you believe that? And it's tempting for us to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, don't want, I, don't, I don't want to be part of that. I just want to be with the in crowd here. It's tempting for us to go back to the old way it's easier. It's more comfortable. So in this sense, the new Jesus is better than the old Judaism, the old covenant. So I want you to think about how new is better than old. Now, I have an illustration for it, but they would not let me start a chainsaw inside the building. So watch this video. I've got my old trusty chainsaw right here. You can see that it's had a lot of action. And uh, the problem with this thing, though, is, is it's kind of quit running and quit working very well. When I try to start it, it just won't go very well at all. And the reason for that is because the carburetor is all gummed up. But what I've got right here is I've got a brand new chainsaw. I mean, look at this, right out of the box. I mean, this is the first time for it to come out of the box. And you have the brand new chainsaw like this. Now, it's not as familiar to me. The throttle, the choke is in a different place. Uh, how the gas and oil caps are are very different than my old familiar one. It's very tempting to just keep trying to fight it with my old one because that's what's easy, that's what's familiar and comfortable, rather than this brand new one. But I've got to know that this new one will do a lot better job. I pulled this brand new chainsaw out of the box. My old one that was comfortable and familiar, I couldn't get it to start, brand new one. Fires right up. 
All it took was one pull. So let's try it on a tree. So here's a tree that I need to cut down at our place. Here's my old trusty one. Uh, again, familiar with everything about it, but I just can't get it to start. It's just not happening. It's just too old, too messed up. Now, here's something else I could do. <laughs> I could really go back old school. This is, uh, this is easy. It's comfortable. It's familiar. And I could try to cut this tree down. But man, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot of effort. It would be so much better, so much better to take the brand new one that I just bought and we just fire it right up. And there you go. Simple as that. Cuts it down. There we go. This thing is not wanted to play ball today. All right. So this thing right here is, uh, it's easy. It's easy to operate at least, or in a way. Do you know how much oil and gas this thing takes? None. Do you know how many ropes you have to pull to get this thing going? Not a single one. Uh, do you know how many carburetors might get gummed up on this thing right here? Not a single one. It's easy to operate. It's simple. Now, you take this and you compare it to what we just saw in the video, right? So check this. Uh, this is not play ball with us today, I can tell. Try it. This is the uh, this is the third chord that we've tried today, and uh, here I'll just I'll, I'll hold it right here. And what I'll try to do is move very slowly. <laughs> what you don't know is I'm actually a robot, and there's a switch back there that has to be turned on. All right, so I'm not going to bend over to pick up the chainsaw, <laughs> but there's a chainsaw. Now it's a brand new one to me. I don't know, I don't I don't know where it's, it's different than my old chainsaw. The the, the the choke and, and how it all works out. But you see, the illustration's pretty obvious. Uh, I'm gonna cut down a whole lot more with that chainsaw than I am with that ax. Now I can get frustrated with this thing. This thing can become a pain. It's kinda hard to keep it running. It might be tempting to just go back to this thing because it's easy. But at the end of the day, this is actually a whole lot more work. And it's not near as effective. And so that's the point that the author of, of Hebrews is trying to make. The new Jesus is so much greater than the old. Even though it can be more difficult, you need to stick with it. So let's look at this now, all right? So we go back to these first two verses. We see Jesus is greater. That, that's, that's the thing. More than the prophets, more than our fathers, uh, Jesus is greater. Let me just give you a, a little bit of an overview of this. As I said in that video, uh, someone once said that, that the writer of Hebrews wrote the book of Hebrews to tell the Hebrews to stop being Hebrews. 
and going, leaving that old way, going to the new way. Now look on the screen right with me here. This is just a little overview. So you get the first four chapters of Hebrews, and the author is going to say that Jesus is greater than any kind of previous messenger that's ever come before Jesus. He's greater than Moses, and he's greater than the angels, and he's greater than Joshua, and he's greater than the priests. And then you get to this middle part of the letter, and you're going to see that Jesus is greater than any former way of faith. Uh, the, the old covenant, the earthly priesthood, the high priest, Jesus is greater than all of that. And then you get towards the end of the letter, chapters 10 to 13, and you can see that Jesus is greater for moving forward in faith. We need truth. We need hope. We need encouragement when times can be tough, and Jesus gives us all this. Now, you want a great picture of the greatness, the superiority of Jesus over anything else. That's what this letter is about. You see it in what we call the transfiguration and in Matthew 17. So here's Jesus, he has the inner three with him, Peter, James, and John, and they're walking up the mountainside, and then all of a sudden Jesus becomes just this bright, glowing, radiated person. And Peter, James, and John look, and right here next to Jesus are Elijah and Moses. Now, you talk about the big heavy hitters. You, you could easily say, who are the greatest preachers, the greatest figures in the Old Testament? You could say Moses and Elijah. And so here's Jesus with these three, and they're just bright, radiant. And Peter's like, whoa, wow, this is huge. Jesus, Moses, Elijah. And Peter says, uh, Lord, let me build three booths, three like, little tents for, for some covering for y'all. And then all of a sudden you hear the voice of God. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the three hear this booming voice of God, they cower down in fear. And when the voice stops, they look up from their fear. But this time when they look up, there's no Moses and no Elijah. It's just Jesus. And the transfiguration is this picture to tell you Jesus is greater than any of these figures in the Old Testament. He is greater. So we've got to get a hold of that in our lives. Now, we go back to verses 1 and we go back to verse 2. How is Jesus greater? And so just in these two verses, you see a glimpse of it. And so Jesus is God's ultimate word to us. He is, look, look at verse 1. Long ago, many times, many ways, God, God spoke. See it? God wants to communicate with us. And the greatest way that God ever communicated with us is in the person of Jesus. You see it in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And you go to verse 14 of John 1. Uh, the Word, Jesus, he tabernacled among us. He became flesh and blood and dwelt with us. And so the greatest form of communication that God ever gave us is in the person of Jesus. Now, we can just unpack that a little just by looking at some of the cues here in these first two verses. He spoke. Now, let me tell you something, friends. We need God to speak. Do you know a recent poll says that up to 70% of Americans do not believe in absolutes, 70%. They don't believe in absolutes when it comes to truth. They don't believe in absolutes when it comes to morality. And so I would contend we desperately need God to speak to us. And when the culture takes God and kicks God out of the equation and everything just becomes secular, 
We have no authoritative word to tell us this is what is true. And I would also contend that in part, this is part of the problem of our culture today in this morass of trying to deal with this pandemic. I mean, you watch the news and you look on social media and today we don't know what to believe. Right? I read this. Is this a conspiracy theory? I read this. Does this really happen? Oh, I need to fact check this. And part of the underground, the background behind all of that is we've taken the Bible, we've dropped it in the trash, and so we don't really know what to believe. We need truth. I want to tell you, when we kick God out of the equation, the price we pay is truth. And when you've lost truth, you've lost hope which is why getting through this pandemic has been so difficult. And so we need God to speak. Now, how does he speak? Look at this. God speaks to us not just through Jesus, but he speaks to us through the created order. Look, God spoke long ago. From the very beginning, God's been speaking. And you see the very end of verse 2, he's done this through Jesus through whom he created the world. And so Jesus, God has been speaking to us through the created order forever. Now how many of you the other day, right before Christmas, got to see this? You got to go out and see the Christmas star. Uh, wasn't that an amazing sight, right? You had Jupiter, you had Saturn that got all lined up. And I went outside and looked at it like everybody else. Like, oh, that's really cool. But I'm going to tell you, just going outside and looking at the sky at night, man, isn't that an overwhelming experience? And you look at all of that and you go, wow, God made all of this with just a word. And the order of creation, to me, just screams the existence of God. Hey, I could stand up here for couple of hours at least talking about the intricate order of creation i mean how is it that everything is kind of laid out the way that it is and it's not chaos how is it that we can even have life on this earth you understand that everything about life being possible on earth is just intricately designed and ordered you know if the earth were any larger or any smaller life couldn't exist if we were any closer or further away from the sun life couldn't exist if you change the mixture of gases in our atmosphere by just a micro fraction we couldn't breathe and i could go on and on and on and i'm just telling you it is very difficult for me to believe that everything that I see in order, in creation, the orderliness of it, the beauty of it, that all of that was formed by random chance. In fact, friends, to me, it takes far more faith to believe in naturalistic evolution than it does to believe in a supernatural God who put it all into existence. Now, you want to talk about the odds of the order of all this laying out just on its own. Uh, check this out. I got 10 pennies in my pocket. Now, if I took these 10 pennies and I labeled them one to 10, put a, got a Sharpie marker, one, two, three, four, to 10. And I took these pennies and I shook them up and I put them in my pocket, okay? Now, pull my hand out. Do you know what the odds are that I would reach in my hand on the first pull and pull out the penny labeled number one? It'd be one in 10. Now, I'm not good at math, but even I can figure that one out. <laughs> now, the rest of this I had to look up. Now, what if I put my hand back in my pocket, I shake these up again, 
And now I'm going to put, reach, I'm going to pull out, I'm going to reach in there twice. And so on the first pull, I pull out the penny labeled number one. And on the second pull, I happen to pull out the penny labeled number two. Do you know what the odds are of me doing that? Well, now it's one in a hundred. Well, that's kind of fun. Let's keep playing. Now shake them up again. And this time I'm going to do three pulls. I pull out this penny. Oh, it happens to be number one. On the second pull, I pull, it happens to be number two. I pull out the next penny on the third pull. It just happens to be number no, What are the odds that in sequential order I pull out the first three pennies? Now the odds are one in a thousand. Now we could keep playing that game. Do you know what the odds are of me pulling out in just 10 pulls, the pennies ordered one to 10? The odds are one in 10 billion. The odds are really against you. I don't think that the order of creation is an accident. I think it tells us just what David says here. Look what David said in Psalm 19 about creation. The heavens are speaking to us, declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So God speaks to us through Jesus. He speaks to us through creation. And then you see the next thing here. He speaks to us through the prophets. And long ago, look, he says, in many ways. And so you look at the variety in how God spoke to the people in the old, just in the Old Testament. I mean, here's Moses. Moses at Sinai, there was thunder and lightning and trumpet. Then Elijah at Horeb, there was the still, small voice that whispered to him. Oh, you've got Ezekiel that saw visions, and Daniel saw dreams. You have uh, Abram, God spoke to him in the form of a human being. You have Jacob, and God spoke to him through an angel that wrestled with him. So you have all these different speakers speaking all these different voices. You look at some of the other prophets. You know, I just kind of made some notes here. Amos, he gave direct oracles to God. Malachi used questions and answers. Ezekiel performed these bizarre symbolic actions. Haggai preached sermons. Zechariah employed mysterious signs. And I've heard that some modern preachers use axes and chainsaws in videos. See, sometimes you wonder, why, why is he up there doing that? I'm trying to communicate to you. And God is doing the same. And you can't look at any of this and say, oh, that's boring, or that's irrelevant, or that's old and stale. No. In many ways, in a variety of ways, in amazing ways, God has been speaking to us. But the whole point of Hebrews is, all of the ways that God, as great as that sermon by Moses was, as amazing and interesting as that thing that Ezekiel did, all of it was incomplete. It was fragmentary without Jesus. Understand that the entire Old Testament is a giant flashing arrow pointing to the New Testament. What did Jesus say when he came on the scene? Hey, I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. What did he do? I came to fulfill it, to teach you what it really means to be the missing piece. So what Moses said, what Ezekiel said, what all these old prophets said, it's all incomplete without Jesus because what they were teaching was actually pointing to Jesus. You look at this chainsaw right here. It's an incredible machine. But on the several areas on this machine, 
where if I just removed one little part, it doesn't work. If I pop the top of that open and I pulled the spark plug, not going to work. If I took the carburetor out, not going to work. Take the fuel filter out, not going to work. Took the chain off, not going to work. Loosen those bolts right there, not going to work. And so the Old Testament is incomplete without Jesus. And this is what Hebrews is telling us, that Jesus is greater. He is the one that brings meaning to all of that. And here's the final thing that I want you to see is that Jesus is greater for our needs. Don't look at the book of Hebrews and go, oh, it's too complicated, I don't understand it. Don't look at the book of Hebrews and go, well, I was never a Jew, so it's not gonna make any sense. (laughs) No, you need this book, and you need to be reminded when the heat gets turned up in your life that Jesus is greater. Hey, when you go to work tomorrow, and your secular boss knows you're a Christian and refuses to give you a promotion because you're a Christian, you need to be reminded Jesus is greater. When you go sit at the table with some extended family and they make fun of you for being a Christian, Jesus is greater. When you're struggling with things on the inside, a sadness, loneliness, maybe a past that you just can't quite shake, you need to know that Jesus is greater. And listen to me. It's not easy following Jesus. We're never promised that it's going to be easy. And dying to myself and repenting of sin and turning away from the ways of the world to the ways of Christ and his word, it's not, it's not easy. And let's just be honest. Sometimes when I get the heat turned up in my life, it might be a whole lot easier to turn to the bottle. And it might be a lot easier to turn to an illicit relationship. And it might be a lot easier, you name it. But the author of Hebrews says, no, 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 no. None of that is as great as Jesus. Don't go back to the old. Don't go back to what's comfortable and familiar and easy. Mark my words, friends. So many times in so many ways in life, what is easiest may not be what is best. Jesus is best. Whatever the price, whatever the cost. Now, I want to end by just showing you a little video here. We, we didn't get to travel to do our bumper videos because of COVID. But it dawned on us that we got a pretty good illustration right here within our own church, the history of our church. And understanding that moving from the old to the new is something we need to do, is something that is better. So I want you to watch this here. One hundred and four years. We are co-laborers in a body of Christ that has been around for a hundred and four years. Not a single one of us were here when this church was established. In June of 1917, T.B. Holcomb and his Sunday school class from First Baptist Church established the Draper Street Baptist Church on the corner of 9th and Draper Street. Believe it or not, COVID wasn't the first pandemic that the church had to go through. In October of 1918, the Shawnee mayor ordered all public meetings canceled through mid-November due to the influenza epidemic. This young body of believers wouldn't let a global pandemic sway them from doing kingdom work. They kept moving forward. In 1928, Draper Street Baptist Church was bursting at the seams. 
they purchased property on Main Street with the intent of building a larger building to hold all the new believers that were joining the church. Construction was completed right at the onset of the Great Depression. In 1929, there was an insurmountable debt that the new location brought under the newly renamed Emmanuel Baptist Church. But that wouldn't sway the church. Several members took out second mortgages on their homes, and the new pastor, H.H. Burton, asked the church to drop his salary. They kept moving forward. There are so many stories of adversity in the story of Emmanuel. The last year has been no different. The world threw us a curveball. We lost precious time with people. Some of us even lost people that we love far too soon. The weight of the world was heavy last year. It would have been easy to throw in the towel, to give up on fellowship with one another, and the commission of making disciples. But God had something different planned for us. We found new ways to connect. We found new ways to reach others. And we found new ways to love our neighbors. We kept moving forward. In the past, these three words connect us to a people and a place. They create a connection to those who have gone before us. As we look in the past, we see shared experiences, struggle, grief, joy, and perseverance. But add one word to this phrase and we see something much different. In the past, God. In the past, there was struggle, but there was God. In the past, there was grief, but there was God. In the past, joy was experienced, and there was God. In the past, perseverance was discovered, and there was God. God was always present in the past. He was always guiding, always protecting, and always speaking to those in the past. In these days, let us not forget that God is still at work in and through His people. He's always present with us still moving us forward to greater faith in Him. Forward through struggle, forward through grief, forward in joy, and forward as we persevere. Father, we come before you today just thanking you for the hope of a new year. And Lord, we recognize that just turning the page on a calendar isn't going to make the year better. But what will make it better is growing forward, deepening, maturing in our faith in Jesus. And so we pray today, Lord, that you would give us that provision, wisdom, patience, courage to stand strong in you. It does seem to be more and more difficult, Lord, to follow you. But help us to understand that following you, Lord, is worth any price. It's worth any cost because you, Lord, are far, far better than anyone or anything that we could give our lives to. And so in this study, Lord, we would pray that you become bigger, if you will, our understanding of you greater, our faith deeper and more mature. Help us, Lord, as we start a new year to move forward in you. And we ask this in 